Well, it is good to, uh, to be with everyone today. Thank you for joining us uh, here for TCC at the Park. Um, it really has been uh, just a blessing and encouragement to, to be able to gather together these last uh, now six weeks uh, outside, um, taking in uh, time together, uh, to fellowship together, to worship together, uh, to sit under God's Word together. Um, we, <clears throat> uh, if anything, have learned not to take this for granted. Uh, we, we jumped back into Ephesians last week in our series entitled, We Are the Church, uh, looking at uh, the, the second half of the book of Ephesians, which is really the, the half of the, of the book that, that's geared towards helping us think about how to be the church, how to live out uh, our lives as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Ephesians 1 through 3 lays out the, the foundational truths that, uh, that shape who we are, uh, that we are uh, blessed uh, with every spiritual blessing uh, through uh, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we are saved by grace through faith, sinners brought into union relationship with God uh, through repentance and faith, and that not only are we sinners united uh, to, in relationship to God, but we're divided people united together in the body of Christ. Um, and then as God's people, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling that we looked at last week. And in Ephesians 4 and 5, I, I, I want us over these next few weeks as, as we look at this to see the unity of the church, the growth of the church, and the purity of the church is where we are headed. And last week we saw in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, the unity of the church, a unity that's grounded in our shared calling, that's that's cultivated as we walk with Christ-like character, that uh, is of urgent uh, demand and attention for us, uh, as well as uh, grounded in our common confession and one faith. And in and, and verse 6 and 7, as, we're going to, uh, as we see, there's this transition where we shift from the unity of the church to an emphasis on the growth of the church. But before we jump into Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, I want to ask you uh, to, to think back in your life about the time when you were called to ministry. Can you, can you go back in your mind and think about the time in your life where you were called to ministry? I remember for me, uh, when that day came, uh, I was a teenager and was invited to church with some friends and uh, knew enough about Jesus and about the church and about the Bible, um, but mostly was uninterested and, and yet due to the invitation of some friends and their lives intersecting with my lives and their persistence in inviting me uh, to church, I finally decided to go. And when I went, uh, I, for the first time, really heard uh, the truth of the gospel uh, with ears to hear for the first time. Um, I knew that I was a sinner, uh, but I really hadn't thought about what that meant in relation to God. Uh, I, I really had kind of uh, really dismissed and downplayed my guilt before God. Uh, but as I saw my sin and my need for God, I was met at the same time with the good news that God didn't leave me in my sin, but that Jesus came, uh, sent from the Father to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead. And if anyone would turn from their sin and trust in him, they would be saved. And <clears throat> that day I I saw it, I knew it, I, I knew my need, and I put my trust in Jesus. And it was that day that I put my trust in Jesus that I was also called to ministry. Now, you're, you're looking, you might be looking at me, I, I think I can tell over your mask, uh, that, uh, wait, wait a second, like, I, I get you're a pastor and you probably had some sense of calling to do what you're doing, uh, but are we all called to ministry? 
I think what we're going to see in Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, is that every believer, every Christian is called to ministry. We could say it this way, every believer is a minister. Every Christian is a minister. God has given the church all that it needs by his grace to grow and fulfill its mission. And part and parcel with God's plan to grow the church is you embracing your call to ministry. Now, it may not be a vocational call to ministry. My call to ministry as a Christian came the day I put my faith in Christ, just like yours did. Um, so maybe you're processing it for the first time that you were called to ministry, but uh, perhaps you've known that. But either way, you're called to ministry. Um, I was vocationally called to ministry later on as I began to grow as a Christian, had a desire to serve as a pastor. Not everyone will be vocationally uh, serving in ministry. We all have different jobs, and God uses those different jobs. And in all of those jobs, God is calling us to be his representative, no matter where the address of our workplace is. No matter what job we have, God has given us this calling uh, to, to represent him. But there's a particular calling within the church to be a minister that's put upon every believer. And what I want us to see in Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, is that the growth of the church actually depends upon every member of the church embracing their call to ministry. That's what God is going to call us and challenge us to do today. And so uh, we're going to begin uh, looking at uh, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. And so uh, let, me, let me read God's word to us, and then I'm actually going to pray before we continue further. Listen to God's word, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to be together this morning to hear your word. God, we, we must confess that we need your word. We need to hear from you. And yet at the same time, God, so often we have crowded out um, the space in our lives and in our minds to receive your word to us. God, this morning, would you help us to uh, lay aside perhaps whatever distraction we may feel or face and to hear from you, to hear from your word. God, meet us in this time uh, to help us to see your plan for the growth of the church and not just uh, the plan in general, but the plan specifically for how you would desire to use each of us just as you, by your grace, have gifted each of us so that we can play our part to build up the body in love. Lord, we give you this time. I pray that you would use the preaching of your word to accomplish your work in our hearts and in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I want us to see four aspects of the growth of the church uh, from Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. The, the first thing that I want us to see is the source of our growth. Uh, here in verses 7 uh, through 10, we, we see uh, this shift from verse 6 where it's talking about um, all of us, how God is the father of all of us. It shifts to an emphasis on each of us in verse 7. All of us make up one body, according to verse 4. We call upon one God, the Father of us all, in verse 6. And yet, verse 7 says, grace was given to each one of us. So we've moved from this emphasis on the larger unity of the church to the particular of what God wants to do with each individual within the church. But we're going to come back around to think about the process of our growth here in a minute, how God has gifted each one of us. But But here what's important for us to see is the source of our growth. And the source of our growth is the grace that's found in our risen Savior. The grace that's found in Jesus. And and this grace, it says in verse 6 and verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it's not just grace that's any kind of grace. It's grace that's found in Jesus. And And as a result of God's grace, he's gifted each one of us for the growth of the church. Down in verse 16, we see that uh, we we have these gifts. Each part, uh, member of the body plays a part to build up the body. And so God's grace has gifted each one of us for the sake of the church's growth. And and Paul's going to further expound on how Christ is the source of our growth um, in, in verses 8 through 10. It's kind of a, a little bit of a confusing part of this passage where it talks about Christ, ascend, Christ descended and ascended. Uh, and, and Paul is actually drawing on Psalm 68. If you were to go look at Psalm 68, verses 18 through 19, we're, we're not going to dig into it in depth here. Uh, but Paul is making a particular connection with Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, what we see is that, uh, that, that God is triumphant. Uh, that God rules and reigns. Uh, and as the God who rules and reigns, he receives gifts uh, from, those whom, uh, from those whom he's conquered. And, and Paul's going to make a unique shift, a unique play on Psalm 68. If you, if you read Psalm 68, it actually says that when he ascended, he led a host of captives and he received gifts from men. Well, Paul, as he quotes this, he says uh, that he gave gifts to men. And so in Psalm 68, it's talking about receiving. In Psalm 60, in, in Ephesians 4, it's talking about giving. Uh, and, and what Paul is doing here is he's making a connection that just as God is triumphant in Psalm 68, receiving gifts from people and, and in turn blessing his people, he's making a connection to say that just as God is triumphant, so Jesus is triumphant and reigns through his ascension, through his resurrection and his ascension. Uh, the, the conversation about him descending and ascending, uh, there's a lot of comments as does this make a reference to Jesus after he's crucified and put in the tomb? Does this make a reference to him descending into hell? And uh, there's, there's a whole line of, uh, of, of argument about what exactly this is talking about. I think it's best to understand uh, what it's saying here in Ephesians 4 is that Christ descended in his incarnation and he has ascended after his death on the cross through his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And so what, what, what Paul is saying here is that the grace that has, uh, has led to God giving us gifts is a grace that comes through our ruling and our conquering Savior. 
Jesus has come in the incarnation. He died on the cross and he has, he has risen victoriously from the grave and he has ascended into heaven. And he alone is the giver of gifts to his church. He is the source of our growth. And I think this is important for us as we think about Jesus being the source of our growth because what it's showing us, what it's reminding us of is as we think about what it means for the church to grow, it means that our growth as a church is dependent on God's grace that's found in Jesus. The reason that's good news is because God's grace never fails. Jesus is risen. He's sovereign. He gives gifts to his people by his grace. And what we need as a church to grow as God intends, God has already graciously and sovereignly provided. And do you know how God has graciously and sovereignly provided? Look at the person on your right or the person on your left or perhaps think about the person behind you or look at the back of the head of the person in front of you, right? God has given the church what it needs to grow by the people that he's brought into the church, And those people that he's brought into the church, his grace has gifted each one of us, those who have put their faith in Christ and and bound themselves together as local churches, he's given us all that we need to grow. And his grace won't fail us. And we can have confidence that God will grow his church. And so not only will grace not fail us, but we also can know that God's grace is the the source of, of lasting growth in the Christian life and in the church. And as I thought about God's grace being the source of our growth, I couldn't help but think about some of the other alternatives uh, to grace-saturated growth. If you've been in the church long or perhaps you've been a Christian long, you've you've perhaps experienced some of these other alternatives of growth. There's there's a guilt-driven growth. I don't know if you've been there before. The growth that comes from uh, the obligation that we should do this or we shouldn't do this. Now, there's obviously an element where because God has given us his word, we have shoulds and should nots, right? We have commands that tell us do this, don't do that. Uh, that's, that's not bad. That's God giving us the proper guardrails to live the life that he intends for us to live. But the, the guilt-driven growth is, is one that's not emphasizing what God has done for us, but it just is constantly aware of what we failed to do for God. And we think that we have to dig ourselves out of that to prove our worth. Closely tied to the guilt-driven growth model is the performance-based growth model. Perhaps shamed by our guilt of what we haven't done or aren't doing, we feel this need to perform, this need to prove ourselves to God or to others. Sometimes we've come out of a season where we haven't been walking with God, and, and if we're not careful, rather than grace being what motivates our growth, we can allow performance to be what motivates our growth, where we think that because we haven't been living with God, that we need to especially do above and beyond so that God will be happy with us, that God will be pleased with us, and that maybe then he'll use us. But do you know that's not what the Bible teaches? The Bible doesn't teach that if you're messed up, you need to really make make a point to, to show God how not messed up you are. No, God knows how messed up you are. I may not know, your neighbor may not know, but God knows. And it's grace that he meets us with. Not a guilt trip, not a performance evaluation, but grace. Grace Grace-saturated growth is the model that God has given us to see growth in the church. Grace-saturated growth says, I am who I am by the grace of God. My standing before God isn't based on my performance. 
My standing before God is based on his grace, what he's done for me in Christ. And, and by God's grace, where I am today is not where I will be tomorrow or next week or next month or next year or 10 years from now because God's grace is changing me to be the person that he wants me to be. And there's such freedom that comes with grace being the source of our growth. It's not a, it's not a should or could or, or would, but it's a get to kind of motivation that we get to experience what God has for us. We, we may grow without grace. You can experience growth without grace, but it will not be the growth that God desires for us or is designed for us. It won't be lasting growth. God's grace is the source of lasting growth in the Christian life. And that grace has come to us secure through our risen Savior, through Jesus, who has conquered death and the grave and sin and devil and the devil and, and death and has risen. And because he's risen, we have all that we need to grow as God intends us to grow. We have all that we need to fulfill the mission that God has given us as his people, to, to make disciples, to, uh, to share the gospel, to, to grow in Christ-likeness, to accomplish what God has given us. We have all that we need because of God's grace. So that's the, the source of our growth. And we, and we can't get beyond that. And you might say, Michael, you talk about grace all the time. You talk about the gospel all the time. Well, the gospel isn't just the ABC of the Christian life. It's the, it's the A to Z. Martin Luther would say, uh, the reason I, I talk about the gospel every week is so that I might pound it into your head so that you would never forget it. We, we need that kind of reminding of the gospel, of God's grace, because it's the source of all our growth in the Christian life. But I also want us to see the process of our growth. So verse 7 in Ephesians, or 1 Corinthians as I'm currently in my Bible, um, <clears throat> Verse 7 says that God, by His grace, has given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Um, we, we see uh, then in verse 11 that there's a, another aspect in which God has gifted the church. And this time, it's not uh, particular gifts, but it's particular people. It says that He has given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, of the body of Christ. So there's, there's kind of three movements that I want us to see here when we think about the process of our growth. And the first is this, is that every member, every person who professes faith in Christ is gifted. If you want to look at uh, some of the other passages that talk about our gifting, you can look at Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4 and 5, where it talks about uh, the gifting of believers within the church. And, and it's really interesting when we think about um, how God has gifted the church. There's not an exhaustive list of, uh, of, of the gifts that God uses to build up the church. Each of the lists, when you look at Romans 12, 1 Corinthians, here in Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, uh, there are different, different gifts that are shown uh, in, in each of these passages. And, and this isn't a, a grace to be saved, but this is a grace to serve the church. And God uses different gifts and, and gives his grace to us in different ways uh, so that we can play our part in building up the church. In a moment, we'll, we'll come back and think about what exactly does it mean to be gifted? How do we know how we're gifted uh, to, to serve the church? Uh, but what we can say based on Ephesians uh, four seven is that God has given every member a gift. By his grace, he's gifted every member. 
But then in verse 11, it shows us that leaders are given to equip the church. It talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists and and pastors and teachers. Uh, There's there's different ways to divide these gifts, but what's unique about this is that some of these gifts, some of these, uh, these people served a foundational role in establishing the church, the apostles. They were the disciples of, of Christ who were given the, the charge to, uh, to take the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile and establish the church. Um, we know the apostles, uh, after those first disciples died, many of them were martyred for their faith. Uh, but the apostles and the prophets, those who spoke God's word, his revelation to his people, the, the male men, the male women that we were talking about earlier, like Habakkuk, if the kids remember Habakkuk with a prophet that we were talking about. Uh, and, and also in the New Testament, there were prophets in the early church. In Ephesians 2, it says these are the foundation of the church. They laid the foundation. They, they spoke authoritatively about what Jesus taught and Jesus did, and, and they made sure the gospel accounts uh, were passed down and spread throughout the churches. And then we see the role of the evangelist, one who would uh, help share the gospel and establish the church. Um, and, then, and then we have these more local roles, like the pastor or the teacher. The pastor, the, the term's called shepherd, is given the responsibility to, to care for the souls of the, the people of God in the church. That's my job as a pastor. Pastor Chris, our responsibility is to shepherd the flock of God, to shepherd the people of God. <clears throat> and then the teachers, some see the shepherd teacher as one role. Uh, and the mo- more likely uh, way to understand this is that all pastors are teachers, but not all teachers in the church are pastors. Uh, that there are some who are given, uh, who have a role of especially helping teach and work out the implications of God's word for the church. But these leaders, the thing that's important for us to see in verse 12 is that they all share the same purpose. And that purpose is to equip the church. Leaders are given to equip the church. And there's a particular emphasis that's put upon the teaching uh, proclamation role of these leaders. And, and I want to emphasize this because all of these roles have to do in some way, shape, or form with, with the proclaiming of God's word, with the correct teaching of God's word, both in its substance as well as its application to our lives. And this is vital for the church. In verse 14, it talks about the danger of what happens when leaders aren't equipping the people for the work of ministry, aren't teaching faithfully. It means that, that we can be led astray that false teaching can influence us, that our hearts can be led astray, that our minds can be led astray. And, and this, isn't, uh, this isn't some uh, fear to create a boogeyman in the church, but it's to, to help us to understand the importance of God's word in the life of the church. It's why we prioritize the, the preaching of God's word. And, and as a pastor, in, in addition to shepherding God's people, the, the, one, the one role that God has given pastors in the church, pastors uh, are, are meant to be ordinary people with character that's reflective of God, but they have this one role that they're able to teach, that they teach the people of God. And the preaching of, of powerful, compelling, faithful biblical sermons are imperative for the life and the growth of the church. But Understand this, it's not just a preaching show. The preaching of the word sets the tone and the direction and the tenor for all the other ministries of the church. 
It, it, it lifts high a view of God and his word, and it says this is what guides us. This is what grounds us. This is what leads us. This is what gives shape to the way we serve our community. This is what gives shape to the way that we speak to issues in our, our culture. This is what gives shape to the way that we care for one another, for the way that we pursue discipleship. It's good news that the growth of the church isn't dependent on the creativity and the ingenuity of the people of the church, but it's, it's grounded in what God has said, not what you and I think. <clears throat> and so we have this emphasis on leaders being given to equip the church. But then verse 12 continues that leaders are given to equip the church so that the people of the church can do the work of ministry. All of us, this is the third part of the process, every member gifted, leaders given to equip the church, and then all of us are called to do the work of ministry. And what is the work of ministry? God has set us apart to serve him and people, both in the church and in the world. The work of ministry is being set apart by God as his people. So this is why not anybody can do the work of ministry. We must be in relationship uh, with Christ through faith and repentance. But once we are, we then are called to serve God and to serve people, especially within the church as well as within the world. When all of us are doing the work of ministry, the church is built up. That's what verse 12 says, that we are to do the work of ministry so that the church might be built up for the building up of the church. When all of us are doing the work of ministry, the church grows. So if this is the kind of the process or the pattern of our growth, let's step back and say, how do you know how you're gifted? And what does your gifting mean for the church? And let me, let me be clear on what I don't mean. And one of the things that this pandemic has done has stripped away some of the normal rhythms of church life. And sometimes when we think about what it means to be gifted for ministry and what it means to serve in ministry, we think that that means that, well, you have to serve in some uh, organized manner within the church. You have to serve on the connections team or on the kids ministry or in the discipleship ministry or on the praise and worship team or with set up and tear down. And, and those things are true and right. We're going to call you to, to use gifts to serve in these particular ways, but it's actually a call that God has given us to move towards one another. You use your gifts for the building up of people, and in the process, we will build up the church. We will organize in particular ways so that the church can grow. But do you know that this has as much bearing about the way you talk to one another before church starts or the way you connect with one another during the week as it does to whether or not you serve on the worship team or the connections team? And I think we miss that. We, we, we only think about the, the organized official way in which we serve in the church. And we think, well, you know, I either don't have time for that or I don't have the space for that. And that may be true. We all have seasons where we have to wrestle with our timing and our ability to manage various things. But God's gifting us to build up the church isn't a seasonal thing, right? It's not like, you know, uh, I, I'm just going to do that in the summer. Or I like, I like to serve in the spring and then I take the rest of the year off. I'm not saying that you're going to have a, an organized role all the time, but I'm saying the call to serve is a call that God has put upon all of us all the time. And as we think about what it means to identify our gift, here's, here's what I want to say. As you think about the, the way God has gifted you, gifting is usually this overlap of a few different areas, of the need of the church, of your particular passions and interests, and then of the affirmation of others 
on your life. So here's, here's where I think we start when we think about the gifting of the church. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do a spiritual inventory test or something along those lines, but the first thing I think you should ask yourself is where are the needs in the church? What needs are there in the church? And again, that, that need may be to help serve parents by providing childcare for a date night. That might mean uh, stepping up and helping with set up and tear down, or maybe some of you have video editing skills and or God's grace will give you video editing skills right now in this moment so that you can help with video editing. Uh, did I say that we needed that, that, that God's gifting us? I'm believing that someone among us uh, has that gift. Um, it may mean those things, but it may also mean, do I notice that there's somebody who maybe is particularly struggling right now? Do I notice that there's a group of people in our church that, uh, that, that have some need or maybe it's college students or maybe it's kids or maybe it's families or maybe it's singles that, that you have a desire to, to meet them where they're at and serve them? Maybe you notice that, that, that there's a need for, for business professionals to, to have some particular encouragement and you, you, want to, you want to help meet that need. You see a need and you ask God, God, would you use me to help meet that need? So start with where there's a need in your church, but then ask yourself, what am I good at? What do I enjoy? What am I particularly burdened for? What do others within the church affirm in me? And this is particularly true as we think about how to live out our mission and and serve our community, that some of the ways in which we need to serve our community reside in the particular burdens that you share, that you have for our community. That, that God may want to use you to help lead us as a church in meeting the needs of others around us. This is a part of how God intends to grow the church. And if I'm honest, I think sometimes we're in a unique situation in which as a church plant, as we uh, are, are growing, uh, there's, there's times where I, I think I have, if I'm, if I'm just being honest with myself in a, in a bent that I have, I think sometimes I, I feel the need to prove myself as a competent pastor. Sometimes it's because we have supporting churches who have supported us, or um, I have this desire to prove to you that we are going to be a solid church, and we're going to grow, and we're going to do these things. And, and if I don't do it, we won't grow. If I don't do it, then we won't get to where we need to be. And as I sit back and think about that, all of that's ultimately false. All of that's ultimately driven by my own uh, mind accepting uh, the performance-based growth that I was talking about earlier and not the grace-saturated growth that God wants. And, and actually what I'm doing in those moments when that happens is I'm short-circuiting the way that God wants to grow our church because God intends to use every believer within the church to build up the church through the use of their gifts. And so our church won't grow as God intends unless we equip and deploy all of our gifts for the sake of building up the church and fulfilling its mission. It's said in the, in the history of the church um, <clears throat> that uh, during the Reformation, we, we returned to the truth of the priesthood of all believers, that every believer has direct access to God, not through a priest, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We return to the priesthood of all believers. Well, today, I think we need to return to the ministry of all believers, that every believer is called to be a minister and to use their gifts to build up the church. And since God's grace never fails, we can be confident that God never fails to bring the right people together at the right time to grow his church. You know, we've said a few few different times over this pandemic, 
and, and just in our journey as a, as a young church that God never gets our address wrong. And that's true of you personally. He puts you where he has put you, around those whom he's put you around for a reason. But he also hasn't gotten wrong uh, the, the role, so to speak, of his church. And that God has brought together in his church a people who are called to the work of ministry. And, and here is especially, if I could uh, just encourage us to think rightly about what, what it means to belong to a local church, to be a member of a local church. Um, you know, there's a, there's a sense in which uh, believers gathered together make up the local church, but there's a particular commitment that those believers make together, that they're committed to growing together and serving one another and building up the church. You know, three believers that run into one another in the grocery store don't make a local church, right? Uh, there's something particular about believers committing with one another to one another to be a part of the church. And we, we, want to, we want to be a church that, that not only cultivates meaningful relationships within the body of Christ, but has meaningful membership where you commit to being a part of this church. And so there are, there are a number of you who have gone through our membership class, and, um, and Lord willing, we're going to present a few new members here at the end of this month. And then in October, we're going to have our next membership class. We have a three-part process, class, conversation, covenant. We'll have our class kind of lays out who we are what our mission is and how you fit into that. And then we have a conversation to work through any questions or thoughts you have about the church. And then we're able to present new members to the church. I want to encourage you, if you're thinking about making this your home, to take those steps, to be a part of what God is doing here at Treasuring Christ, believing that God brings together the right people at the right time to accomplish his work. And and I think as we think about this process of growth, it also challenges us in some ways it challenges us to be, to be servants in the church, not consumers in the church. We, we live in a consumer-driven society. Uh, we, uh, over the pandemic, we've realized which companies have good online uh, shopping processes and which ones don't, right? Um, <clears throat> for the first time in my life, Amazon wasn't able to get me things in two days. You know, I was like, what? What in the world? Like, why can't you give me things? In two days, I had to go somewhere else to, uh, to shop. We, we, we live in a consumer-focused society that's based on how quickly we can get the things that we want. Well, this, this isn't that. Uh, we want to do things with excellence. We want to do things uh, well. Uh, we, we want to, uh, to, to really think about the needs and how to cater our ministry in a way that actually is accessible and meets people where they're at. That's why we're shifting so much of what we're doing over this next year within a TCC at home together with host homes and our men's and women's discipleship and our ministry to kids and to families and uh, our ministry uh, to, to singles and young professionals out of a desire to meet people where they're at, to make resources accessible. But this isn't about being consumer driven. It's about being servant driven. And I think sometimes when we think about um, <clears throat> the, the growth of the church, like think of it, anybody been a part of a, a group project at school, right? Aren't those your favorite? I think sometimes we think about being a part of the church as if it's like a group project. You know, we know that there are going to be a few people who do all the, who do all the work, uh, and then we, you know, are just going to drag along the other people as best as we can. Um, but, but sometimes we, we kind of, we, we look at it in that way where it's kind of approached begrudgingly, knowing that not everybody's going to pull their weight and do their part. Well, I, I think no doubt that can be true. That, that has been reflective of, uh, of many a church. But, but I want us to think that 
this group project, because indeed Christian, the Christian life is a group project. It, it is designed to be intended for others to be a part of it. But we're, we're a part of something that's bigger than any group project you've done at school. It's bigger than, than any, any other group that you've been a part of. And, and as I, I was thinking about this, I came across a quote from one of my favorite authors, Paul Tripp. He's got a book called Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer. He says, your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, or non-delinquent kids. Amen. It is bigger than beautiful gardens and nice vacations and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense if you're a Christian, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you and me to be a part of that work. That's the group project that we're a part of where God has gifted every member, is called leaders to equip the church, and that all of us play a part by using our gifts to build up the church. So as we enter into this upcoming year, this fall, especially as we transition at the end of September and October to host homes and to small groups starting back this week and, and to other ministries that are going to be taking place, as well as just the, the rhythm of our life of loving and serving our neighbors and, and others within our church, when I say we have to embrace this season and to grow through it, the reason that we can embrace it the reason that we can grow even with unideal circumstances is because God never fails to bring together the right people at the right time to accomplish his work and to grow his church. It's the process of our growth. And then we have to consider the goal of our growth. Look in, in, in verses 12 through 14 again. It says that not only has God given leaders to equip the church for the building up of the body of Christ, but verse 13, it gives us the goal, what we're, what we're aiming for, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. So in a word, the goal of our growth is maturity. And this maturity comes both in what we believe and how we live. It comes in what we believe, according to verse 13, that we're to attain the, there's the word again, the unity, the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unity in what we believe, our common confession. Look, there's some, there's some real dangers uh, and, and challenges that we face, questions that people have about the Christian faith or about the Bible like we're, we're called to grow in maturity in what we believe. I'm not saying that all of us are going to be able to answer every question that anybody would ask, but we all ought to desire to grow more confident, more sound in what we believe. But not only do we need to grow in what we believe, but we need to grow in maturity in how we live. This emphasis is to, to mature manhood, uh, and it's not particular to men or women, but it's a broad picture. It's like Ephesians 2 talks about how Christ has brought us together in one new man. The church is a new humanity. The church is a new thing that God is doing. And he's calling us to, to grow up into this. And, and this means that we live it out. This is, if you think of it this way, this is Christian adulting, right? 
Like this is adulting to its greatest degree. It's not just talking and thinking like an adult, but it's living like one, right? Like it's it's getting the the bills organized, you know. It's 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 carrying out the responsibility, setting up your doctor's appointment. It's doing the things that aren't any fun, but that you know you need to do. I'm married with three kids, and I'm still figuring out right how to adult, right? Like as Christians, we have to start adulting. We we have to grow together in not only what we believe, but how we live. And notice the focus in all of this. Just as we saw that grace is the source of our growth, Jesus is what guides our maturity. Think about what it says there in Ephesians uh, 4.13, that we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and that we're to grow up into the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Think of it this way. Jesus is what draws us together. That's the unity of our faith. Jesus draws us together, and then Jesus drives us forward because we're to grow into the measure and the stature of his fullness. Jesus is the source of our growth, but he also is the model, what guides us in our growth. And when we think about the goal of our growth and how we, how we reach it, today I think there's, there's a few different ways we can think about growing as a church. Sometimes we, we can... We can see churches depend on good marketing to grow. They, they figure out what the need is and they, uh, they communicate that. And certainly there can be excesses when it comes to that, but uh, our goal isn't to sell a product, but we do want to clearly communicate who we are and what we're about in a compelling way. Some think that cultural relevancy is the way to growth. They kind of measure measure the, the, the temperature and the culture and the environment, and they say, let's go there. Let's reflect that. Let's be that. And it's important to think through what, what questions our culture is asking, what problems it's facing, and then speak and live out the gospel in the culture. But we don't want to bend our knee to the culture and compromise what we believe. But our problem has often been believing the right things without living them out. And so it's not about cultural relevancy first and foremost. It's not about good marketing first and foremost. Here's, here's what we have to pursue. Christ conformity. To, to reach the goal of maturity, we must pursue Christ conformity. What do, I, what do I mean by Christ conformity? The most pressing question that we must ask as a church is are we growing up into Christ? Is the pattern of Christ's life the pattern of our life? Is the pattern of Christ's life what's guiding our mission as a church? Is the pattern of Christ's life what's guiding the way that we organize our discipleship and our, our ministry? And what do I mean by that? The pattern of Christ's life was one of humility, was one of service, was one of truth and grace, was one of sacrificial love. The path of Christ wasn't flashy. The path of Christ was faithful. The path of Christ was humble, sacrificial. He who would be the greatest among you must be a servant. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Have the mind of Christ, which means putting the interest of others before the interest of yourself. This is how God wants us to reach maturity. Christ conformity. 
It's just like what we saw at the beginning of Ephesians 4. The Christ-like character of humility, of patience, of loving forbearance. This is the secret sauce of growth in the Christian church. There may be other ways to grow, but this is the way God is repeatedly telling us we must grow. And it's a growth that, that leads us deeper into Christ. And the deeper we get into Christ as we're faithful to Him, God will expand our reach and the fruit of our ministry. The goal of our growth is maturity. And I think here it's important to, end, to, to reflect both individually and corporately. Are we becoming who God wants us to be? Are you becoming who God wants you to be? <clears throat> Alec, if you could just read those notes for me. Um, uh, as, we, as we think about what it means to grow, we have to reflect personally. We have to reflect corporately. Are we pursuing Christ's conformity? Uh, and this week as we begin our small groups and we have an opportunity to reflect on this, reflect as you prepare to go into that time. How are you doing? How are you doing in maturing in the faith? And then how are you doing in helping others do the same? Because we are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. We are called to one another. And then I want to end, as verse 15 and 16 does, by looking at the key to our growth. Verse 15 gives us, gives us a key. Verse 15 and 16 really repeat in some ways what's already been said. But they give us the key. It says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head. And then it says down in verse 16, when each part's working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the key. The key to our growth is speaking the truth in love. This is what we must do within the church as well as what we must do in our relationships outside the church. And what does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, it's not saying hard things in a nice way, right? Um, I think sometimes we think of it that way. Um, and you should say hard things in a nice way. I do want to encourage you in that. Don't be mean. Uh, you know, if you can, uh, try to say hard things in a nice way. But there's something more here. The word of truth, according to Ephesians 1 through 13, is the gospel of our salvation. In, in Ephesians 4.21, it says that we learn the truth and the truth is in Jesus. So to speak the truth is to speak the truth about Jesus, to speak the truth about who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us. And it's to do it in love. It's to, to do it in a way that reflects the love of God, to do it in a way that reflects the, the loving forbearance and patience of God. It doesn't demand that somebody change right away. It doesn't expect that somebody gets over their problems because we remember how we've struggled through our own problems. It's also not the equivalent. Uh, you know, I, I come from <clears throat> living in, in Arkansas and, and previously in North Carolina, and there's this thing within, you know, Southern culture uh, that you can say anything about anyone and then say, bless their heart, and it's like it makes it better, right? Like, you know, like, you know, they they fell out of the tree and hit the ugly, every ugly stick on the way down, but bless their heart, you know, or, um, you know, not the smartest, you know, sharpest tool in the box, but bless their heart. You know, you, you, you could just say bless your heart and it makes everything better somehow. And that, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about speaking in such a way that we present the truth of who Christ is and what he's done and in a way that reflects the love of Christ. These two things always go together. Truth and love, truth and grace. 
Truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love, and love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. We don't want a sentimentality type of love, nor do we want a compromising type of truth. We want truth and love. And I, I love, there's a book by a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt called Gospel Fluency. And in it, when he thinks about, when he talks about speaking the truth and love, he says, think of it this way. <clears throat> if we are to help one another grow up into Christ in every way, we need to learn to speak the truths of Christ into everything, every aspect of life, every situation we face, every issue we address. It means becoming fluent with the gospel, which is thinking, feeling, and perceiving everything in light of what Jesus has done for us and in light of who Jesus is to us. So to speak the truth in love is then the pattern of both our evangelism and our discipleship. So when you think about sharing the gospel, you think about a relationship you have, a friend shares a burden with you. Don't just give them advice. Point them to Jesus. Share how your faith has helped you work through things in your life. Someone asks you about your weekend. Don't just talk about the weather. Talk about what God is teaching you in your church or in your small group. You see someone struggling or discouraged. Don't just say a prayer silently for them. Move towards them. Reach out to them. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to dinner. Open up your home with appropriate distance and safety. Care for one another. Call somebody this week and try to encourage them and encourage them specifically with something that God's teaching you or some way in which you've been reminded of the gospel this week. Be willing to perhaps meet with someone for four to eight weeks to read through the Bible together. Somebody in your small group that you want to dig deeper with. Commit yourself to go there on Zoom in your house to small group so that you can be with other believers to be encouraged as you talk about God's word and apply it to your lives. Perhaps take advantage of our men's and women's discipleship opportunities to, to grow through reading good books together or studying the Bible with one another, coming to our men's monthly prayer. When we talk about sin, did I mention as Christians we should talk about sin? We should share how we're struggling, how we're doing? When we talk about sin, don't, don't just be a, a listening ear, which is good, but also bring the gospel to bear. Bring the gospel to bear when somebody shares sin or, or when you share sin. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself that sin put Jesus on the cross, but it didn't keep him there. Re remind yourself that there's no sin that's deeper or goes further than the grace of God. Remind yourself that repentance is an all-of-life discipline, that whenever we see sin in our lives, we repent, return to the gospel, and then walk in the joy of forgiveness. This is what it means to speak the truth in love as a pattern for our evangelism and our discipleship. It's not a program. It's not saying hard things in a nice way. It's bringing the truth of Jesus to bear in everything we do and in every area of our life out of a loving concern for one another and in a reflection of the love of Christ towards us. This is the key to our growth. And we have to ask ourselves, is the gospel working in our life? Are we seeing God change us as we think about our sin struggles, our relational conflicts, our finances, our schooling, our cultural issues, politics, our family, our work, are we allowing the gospel to permeate these things? The truth of Jesus and the love of Jesus. And as I say all of this and I think about what it means to grow and for Jesus to be the source of our growth, I continually return. Not only is the gospel working in your life, but are you like me? 
all those years ago when I heard the gospel for the first time, knowing that perhaps some things aren't right in your life and that you're a sinner, but unsure of where to go with that sin. Just as we would remind ourselves as a, as a Christian that there's no sin that's greater than God's grace and that sin put Jesus on the cross, but it didn't keep him there. I would, re, I would share that good news with you today if you've yet to put your faith in him, if you've yet to put your trust in him. He invites you to come to him, to turn from your sin and to put your trust in him. Not so that you can perform better, but so that you can be received into his loving arms by his grace and that he can change you. He died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead. Anyone, anywhere who will turn from their sin and trust in him will be saved. I don't know if that's you today, but if it is, will you come to him? Will you right where you're at in your own words say to him, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I need you. I trust in you. Do it today. Let us know. Let somebody that invited you know so that you can, you can walk with others in the joy of your salvation. And then church, I just want to encourage us as we head into this upcoming year, as we think about how to grow during this time, be encouraged. God will grow his church that he has promised us. His grace is sufficient. Jesus is risen. His church will grow. But then also, are you embracing the call to ministry? Are you embracing what God might be calling you to do to the person that he's calling you to serve? to the area within our church that he might be calling you to serve? Are you, are you viewing yourself as a minister called by God's grace, gifted by God's grace to speak the truth in love in our evangelism and our discipleship in all of life? Are you engaged in the work of ministry? The church grows by God's grace as every member of the church embraces their call to ministry myself included, yourself included. Let's embrace that call and experience the growth that God desires for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Got a word that speaks to us right where we're at. I think in this season as a church, as we think about how in the world do we navigate all of these changes? God, how are you going to grow us through this time? God, thank you that you've promised to grow your church by your grace. You've given us what we need and gifting us and calling us to ministry, to, to be ministers to one another and to the world around us. God, help us to be people who know the truth of the gospel. And that truth would be changing us. Help us to be people who know the love of God. And that makes us the most free and self-forgetting people who, who, who aren't prideful, but who are humble, who aren't seeking to get something, but are seeking to give something. God, make us a people who are changed by truth and love so that we can be a people who speak truth and love in all of life, in every way. Up close in our homes and our own lives and our families and our friendships and our work relationships and our neighbors and every area of life, let us be a people who speak truth and love. And then God, would you work through us to allow us to grow up in every way into Jesus both in our depth of becoming more like Christ and our reach and in inviting others to faith in Christ. God, we love you. I pray that you would help us to grow in the way that you desire and the way that you've designed. We ask it in our risen Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.